Hi, and welcome to the Sailorville Church Podcast. My name is Abe Miller, and I am here with Pat Nemmers once again, getting to discuss the book of Ezra. Yeah, it's good to get the band back together. <laughs> here we are. Here well, we is. Whether you like us or not, we're here. Uh, hey, uh, you know, we're, we are in the book of Ezra, and we just got to the person of Ezra himself here this last week. But uh, I thought it might be good to give a little commercial in terms of uh, the series itself. Uh, we've, yeah, you know, I've never preached through Ezra before, though I have preached through Nehemiah. And of course, I think I made a comment several weeks ago that, you know, if you're doing a, if you're in the middle of a building campaign, you got to preach through Nehemiah. I mean, it's the right thing to do. But we've done that before. So I chose Ezra. It's been an interesting, I hope, encouraging uh, series yep. for our people. Uh, but we are in the middle of a of a building campaign, and Abe, you are the elder who are you've been tasked to be over this. Uh, tell us what's going on because things are getting pretty exciting around here. Well, and what's the what's the theme of our our building project? Because that's the big part. Yep, our theme is transformed from the inside out. Yep. So the idea, of course, being we are our building. Uh, project this this time around, which is a it's a big one and it's been an expensive one, is not really increasing the size, uh, our dimensions of our facilities, but enhancing the old part, both the upstairs and downstairs. They're being transformed from the inside out, so to speak. And of course, we're using that as a theme that we need to be transformed from the inside out. Yep. Yeah, and it's been we're we're getting close. It's been a it's been a long project, but we are getting close to being done. Hopefully, you know, July of 2023 here, we'll, we'll be done and get to move in, which everyone's really excited about. And God has been super faithful, you know, just providing the monies that are coming in. And you even mentioned that in the message on Sunday, you know, the principles of not borrowing, which we haven't borrowed. And God has brought those monies in where we're able to um, pay, pay our general contractor, which is great, and then we'll be able to do the the finishing touches like technology and the furniture and all the yeah. odds and ends. It's kind of funny because you're the one who's been working with our contractor. I mean, you've done this a couple of times now. Abe, uh, hey, describe the look on their face when you tell them uh, that uh, we're going to uh, uh, we're going to be uh, doing a project that will be multiple millions of dollars, but we're not borrowing any money. Yeah, what, what do yeah. they usually say when they, what do they do? And how do they react when you, when you tell them that? Most of them, you kind of raise their eyebrows and say, Oh, uh, okay. That that's cool. But you have a backup plan, right? And we're <laughs> like, uh, Nope, no ba backup plan. No plan. God B. is our plan a, and, uh, <laughs> he's going to come through, you know, and, and they, for the most part, everyone has been very, wow, that's super neat. And, encouraged by it and a test of faith, which is one of the, you know, the last principle of it is, it's a test of faith that God's going to provide. He's going to come through and, and we've seen that once again. Um, so that's, yeah, it's been really encouraging. And you've had the joy, although at the time there's already been a little stress involved of being over a couple of these major projects, uh, raising, uh, upwards toward nearly $10 million. And you, that's, that's a lot of money you've had to oversee, uh, mm -hmm. the building of, I just want you to know, I think it's been great watching how you've handled it. And even this time more than the last time, because last time we had some major stressors, oh, yeah. unforeseen stuff that came. Yeah. And we've got a great team. The building team has been fantastic and really helpful. 
Um, couldn't do it without them for sure. So yeah, thanks, if, say, thank you to them. Yeah, praise the Lord. All of the above. Uh, I it might it might serve our our listening audience to just quickly go through those four principles again. I don't I mean whether they heard or not, but those four principles were what I uh, what I uh, came up with from my study of scripture about thirty years ago now, uh, which is crazy that it was about 30 years ago that I came up with these and brought them here too. Uh, and they are, number one, God never encourages borrowing. Number two, God always discourages borrowing. Thirdly, and the loophole for some is borrowing is not outrightly prohibited. Uh, and then the fourth one is there, the therefore. Therefore, borrowing is not a matter of sin, but a test of faith. I don't know if you were going to talk about that or not, but I just thought it was great to be good to bring it up again because that third principle really kind of found its way in the text here because whereas Ezra, Ezra trusted the Lord, did not ask for all the help, did not ask for the soldiers and the protection as he brought, you know, these 1,500 people and, you know, you know, in today's economy, billions of dollars worth of, mm-hmm. of uh, goods with him. Whereas Nehemiah, 10 years later, was given almost the same card blanche by that king uh, and uh, said, yeah, I'll, I'll take the protection. So it's kind of, it's really interesting to me. That's why that third principle is important. Um, borrowing isn't outrightly prohibited. And that keeps people for, like us who have chosen to trust the Lord and not borrow. Uh, it keeps us from judging our friends who choose to go otherwise. Yep. Yeah, it's been great to just watch how God has provided through that. And it is a test of faith. I think it is. You know, there's a lot of times where we sit here and go, oh, man, hopefully the money's going to come in. Hopefully, you know, the timing of it's going to be okay. And and it is. It, it yeah. is. Uh, it's great to watch. Yeah, so. it's been a blessing. Praise the Lord. Yep. So this this message was, God, help us be authentic. And I thought, you know, you, you gave these six these six principles of Ezra and how, you know, he just sounds amazing and portrait of authenticity. But I was thinking about just that word authentic. And, you know, a lot of times we don't, we, we talk, you know, about, oh, that person is so authentic or they're real, you know, and that's attractive. We don't often say, wow, we love it that that person is a fake. And, (laughs) you know, that's not something that you would brag about or say to somebody, but when we say authentic and we're talking about Christianity and, and living the Christian life and we say somebody is authentic, what does that actually look like? How do we describe somebody that would be authentic? I think you've already, you just, you gave a couple of synonyms and one of them was the one that was real. And uh, you, as you know, here just, uh, just a couple of hours ago, in fact, uh, we interrupted our final meeting of the morning, which we, on Tuesday morning, our elders get together every Tuesday, and a couple of times a month, we get together with our staff, or the directors. In this case, it was a staff meeting uh, before noon, and suddenly we got the, um, the the news that our Brazil team was back, which uh, your daughter was on that team, yep. Yep. and uh, so they were gone for uh, a week and a half down in Brazil, serving with uh, our missionaries and good friends, Lucas and Teresa Bear. And uh, almost to a person, I didn't talk to every one of them, but to the ones that I did talk to, they all talked about how real 
and how uh, precious it was to hang out with uh, Lucas and Teresa because they were so, I don't think they used the word authentic, but they might as well have. And by that, I think they meant that they were, uh, they got to see him in their home. They got to see the way they interacted with one another. They got to see the way they loved one another and loved on the missionaries and loved what they did. You know, it's one thing to see, uh, you know, I guess if you translate it to our context, it, you've got, you know, 1,400, 1,500 people every Sunday looking at Pat Nimmers in the pulpit, but they don't really know him behind closed doors. And, uh, you know, is what they're looking at the real deal? Is there authenticity? And I, the only people who could really answer that would be the ones who get to see what's going on behind closed doors. I think that's what it is. There's, you know, that, I mean, that's, you said fake or hip hop. What's a hypocrite? You know, it's just, that's the person who's up there talking and doing things and he's, he's doing something he ought not to be doing behind or has a lifestyle or a way about him or a character about him or her that's contrary to God and his word and what a Christian life should be. That's, that's not keeping it real. By the way, we're, we're going to be, when we, when we get back in the summertime, we're going to be, we're going to be, we're going to embark on a series called Keep It Real in the Book of James. So uh, we'll have we'll be able to come back to this subject. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that is interesting too because I think of when I think of somebody who's authentic, I I don't I think of somebody who can like admit their weaknesses. They can they can admit when they're wrong. They they keep it real. They're not oh, I'm I'm I've got everything figured out. I I know all the answers. I know all of the the ways that things should be done, but there's a sense of humility, which, I mean, it goes along with all of these points mm -hmm. that were made in the message, right? When you look at this, you're like, oh man, all of these things, faith, humility, gratitude, courage. I mean, those are all marks of someone who's authentic or working on it or working to be more like Christ. Well, it, and I appreciate that, but I also think it's interesting you did not mention the first point, which was something you can't do anything about, right? which is, Ezra had a great upbringing, but you had a great upbringing, didn't mm -hmm. you? I mean, you weren't yep. you raised in a Christian home? Yep. yep. Were your parents raised in a Christian home? Yep. So were their parents? I mean, I, I never asked you this question. I just did. I don't know how far it goes back, but I know my my great grandparents were. Wow. I mean, so you're like third, fourth generation at least yep. follower of Jesus. You really do have something to look back at. Do you do you appreciate that? That upbringing? Yeah, it's interesting because we were talking about this in our men's group last night. We were sitting out around a fire and talking about this legacy and the whole idea of what does that look like. And, you know, growing up in it, you don't – I took it for granted growing up in it. I figured everybody had that. Everybody had parents who loved Jesus and who spend time and interact and ask me questions and support me at all my sporting stuff. You know, and then I, then I got out of the house and I started talking with friends from college and realizing, okay, that – it's not necessarily true. And then I would go on men's wilderness trips and hear guys' stories and realize, oh my goodness, like I had it really good in in that sense of, of having an example to to look at. And I, I told our guys too, I said, I, I listened to what my parents said, but I watched and caught way more. Like that was mm. a big deal to me. Mm. Like I would watch my mom and dad um and just see like, do they are they really being who they say they are? Yeah. And and I can say like my my mom and dad were the same at church as they were at home. I didn't see a different like that is not the same 
So you saw the consistency. Yeah, they were authentic. They were real. I mean, I saw their mistakes, but I saw them be humble. I saw them walk through life and make hard decisions and not be perfect parents, but own it. You know, I mean, that was what I, that's what I caught in all of that. So what would you say to those like you? And we have many of them, but we really are a gospel-centered church, and there's a lot, hundreds of people who are first-generation Christians around here, like myself, uh, you know, uh, you know that didn't come from a, a Bible. When we believed the Bible when I grew up. We, we believed in spiritual things. We were patriotic, and, and there was a semblance of godliness about us, but we didn't—the gospel wasn't there. You had to— Christ alone and all of that. So, uh, but would you, what would you say to all of those who had great upbringings? What would you say to the audience that's listening? They had great upbringings. What would you say to them? Well, I think be grateful, you know, for protection, the the way God, the things he taught you, the things he was, you were protected from. Um, those are, I remember like in high school and into college, I mean, there were, there were moments when I was like, I wish I had a story. I wish I had Mm. more of like, it was crazy. And I was doing all this stuff and God radically saved me out of this, you know? And, and, and even to this day, I mean, I think Satan uses that in my life to be like, yep, you don't have a great story. You're not going to be able to connect with those people. You're not going to be able to relate. They're not going to understand. So there, there is that part of it too, you know, which you hear other people like yourself who have more of a, a radical transformation or like, Oh man, I was doing this and crazy, crazy. And then God saved me and look at the transformation. It changed. Well, I don't have that story. Right. You know? So I think, but I'm very thankful for my parents and what they taught me. And I, you, you just don't realize it until you get older and you look back at it and say, man, I was protected from a lot of stuff that I could have gotten into yeah. a lot of things. So be grateful, take what you learn, what you can from it, but don't rely on it because, uh, because, yep. uh, you know, it's like that illustration I shared that I, that I I don't normally put illustrations in my sermon that I read, but this one was too good to pass up for the the Chicago bank that requested the recommendation from the from the Boston firm about a guy that was applying and and uh, he the Boston firm came back and said, oh, he was you would not believe. And they started listing all the names that of his family lineage and. And uh, they're all a bunch of financiers, and you it's an amazing thing. And they came back and they said, uh, we're not using the young man for breeding purposes. Mm-hmm. I thought that was so good. Uh, don't trust the don't trust your your ancestry, but be thankful for it. Yep. That's good. Yep. Yeah, so let's move on to that second one, great faith. And um, I guess my question on this one, which we could spend a lot of time on all of these. We obviously don't have the time to do all of that. But when it talks about great faith, we often hear people say, like, I want to be a man of faith, or I want to be a woman of faith, or I want to be a, a student or a child of faith. You know, you hear that from people. Like, I want my faith to grow, and I want it to increase. And we see that in Ezra. But, like, what? It sounds really good. It sounds like it's the right answer. And But, but what? does that look like? How do, how do we grow our faith in, in everyday life? What does that actually look like to, I want to be a man of faith. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, we are told in second Corinthians five to walk by faith, not by sight. So I think if my understanding of, of faith itself is accurate, it's trusting 
the very words of God. I mean, I, in my mind, we have a definition of faith in Romans chapter 4, where speaking of Abraham, who was told, who was given a promise by God, he's going to have a son. You know, he's almost 100 years old, which is just like crazy. His wife's almost 90. I mean, that's just insane to think that. It'd be like me thinking that my wife's going to get pregnant in her 60s, you know. I mean, that's just nuts. That would be a great story, though. Yeah, it'd be a great story. <laughs> I'd be all for it. <laughs> One more kid. Wow. Um, but it says in uh, Romans 4, verse 20, no belief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. And then this is the, the, the 21st verse, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. And to me, that is a literal biblical definition of faith. That is, if you want the reference again, Romans 4.21, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That's what faith is. Faith is being fully convinced, you're not wavering one way or another, that what God has said, he can come through on. You And uh, and we operate on that. We trust him to that end. That's what, I think that's what saving faith is. I think that's what living faith is, just believing the very word of God. And I think... The, that's a that's a great concern today. We we have people with faith, but they don't have great faith. They 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 don't want to trust what God has said, and um, and there are many areas in our lives that we can trust Him for those things. And um, so, so yeah, yeah, that's good. So like how so in those situations, like you said, we have people who don't trust, you know, or not have have maybe weak faith. Like what it, what's the what's the cause of that? Is of that, weak faith? Yeah. I mean, is that is that I'm depending on myself? It's pride. It's I don't really believe that God's gonna come through. I don't really believe he has the best in mind for for me or for my family or for my kids or do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I I, I think it's a little you, you answered some of those things. There is a little pride that comes in because we are capable. God has created us to be very capable people on our own. And then some people, you know, we we have a culture that is very independent. I and mean, we pride ourselves as Americans that we are independent and I don't need you and you don't need me. And you know, you and I as Christians, we know totally better. That's just a lie. Uh, and uh, so we got the self-made man and all of those kinds of things. When we get like that, we don't tend to what why do I need faith? You know, what what's that all about? And I think there's something about it built into man. Jesus said, uh, I, you know, those who are well, don't go to a, they don't go to the doctor. You know, it's the sick people that go to the doctor. I think all of us have to under, we have to get to a place where we see we're, we're really given towards sickness better than wellness, mm -hmm. spiritually speaking. And if I live like that, then I'll, and I know that if I'm given towards sickness, I just happen to have a cold here as we speak. Uh, then, uh, you know, I'm going to enter my time with God every day as a real needy guy. Uh, I need him. I desperately need him. Uh, and I don't want to open my Bible as a self-sufficient man. And I think if I get that attitude, I'll go from weak faith to stronger faith. Any faith's better than no faith at all. I mean, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, and we have that scripture talks about, you know, you know, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I mean, there's, there's somebody who's confessing a weakness in his faith. 
And I think that's might be the best. That may might be a great place to start. Just confess your weakness. But there's a reason for that weakness, and it's not because of your makeup. I think it's because you you're relying too much. Because the opposite of faith in God is faith in something else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that reminds me of the Second Corinthians twelve nine, where Paul is talking about the thorn, and you know he says, "I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me," mm. which I think. It's it's along the same lines, right? It's I'm weak, I'm needy, I I can't do it. I'm not going to do it in the right way or the right motive or the right attitude. Like I need you. Have you been meditating on that verse? Because you yeah. just ripped that off just now, like you've memorized or something. That was I pretty did. cool. Yeah. I I I, I love hearing it coming right <laughs> from your mouth to me. It's like, whoa, man, he just nailed me. That that was good. That's good stuff there. Really good Thanks. stuff. Okay, so let's let's move on to humility. Um, since you wrote a book on this, we thought this would be really good. Uh, this is the shameless plug retractions, cultivating humility. I think it's just a great idea that you came up with promoting the book here. Uh, <laughs> Abe, thank you so much. <laughs> well, you, you have all the answers of what it looks like to oh. be humble. And uh, yes, because I wrote the book, my humility and how I attained it. Well, right. that's not the title uh, of the no, book. No, 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 is no. It? That's not it. No, no. Cultivating humility. After humiliation, yeah, you can yeah. find that on Amazon if you're looking to buy it. But yeah. it is a, it is a really good book. We've heard lots of good things about it. It's been challenging to me personally, but humility is one of those things too that we talk about and say, man, that you know everybody loves humility, and you know the opposite of that is pride, and um, they just don't like being humbled. Yeah, and and you have that one line of um, you know you either humble yourself or God will humble you. Mm-hmm. I've used that before, right? Mm-hmm. And um, but what quickly? What is what does um, what are the what are the characteristics of a humble person? Well, I don't think I have. Even though I did write a book on it, I didn't write the book on it. God wrote the book on it, right? And we're just uh, trying to uh, understand it ourselves. I think it's just to me, it's just being bare knuckled honest with yourself. If uh, if you're wrong admit you're wrong. If you're slightly wrong, admit you're slightly wrong. I mean, I mean, uh, it's not that hard to do. And if the reason why, but you said something, you said everybody loves humility. I think what you meant was everybody loves a demonstration of humility. Or a humble person, yeah. I mean, I, I'm drawn to a humble person. I really am. And you are too. And if that's true, then why won't, why, why shouldn't I? Why won't I be humble? And I again, there is there is something that part in Romans seven. Paul says the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I you know. I, I mean, don't I'm messed up. I'm really messed up here, and we are messed up. But I think our pride is, which is the antithesis of humility, wants to make an excuse, wants to find a scapegoat. I mean, sin from the Garden of Eden has always looked for a scapegoat. And uh, and I know that even though I I try to be humble, uh, I know that I look for a scapegoat. My first, my knee-jerk reaction is to look for a scapegoat. And I that might be the, to your question, that might be the thing. Uh, think about your knee-jerk reaction when somebody calls you out on something. Uh, 
I don't remember what it was we were talking about today in our meeting. I was wrong on something. I can't remember what it was, but I, I made some comment and then it got corrected. It wasn't a, I wasn't like drastically wrong, but I was slightly wrong on it. And, you know, I, I don't, I think in the moment I think, well, you know, I was half right, you know, but I had to, right then I thought that I judged myself on my reaction right there. I, mm. I was wrong. I, and I just said, I think I'd made the comment, you know, I, I stand corrected. I think yeah. is what I said on it. And, uh, I think it's important to get used to saying things like I stand corrected or I'm, you know, I, I didn't see that right. Or thanks for pointing that out to me. Uh, I know of somebody that we, you and I talked about somebody today, you and me, we went to lunch. We often go to lunch on after, and we talked about a certain somebody and, and, uh, the one issue I had with this certain somebody in my life was he never, in all the years I knew this guy, he never had an aha moment, you know, where you're having, you do your debate something, you're arguing over something. And, you know, you and I have had these things where suddenly it's like, oh my goodness, Abe is right. Doggone it. I got to admit it, you know? And so, and then I, I hope I do in that moment, this guy, he never had an aha moment. It just bothered me. Yeah. That's what, that's pride. Pride never has aha moments. It's just, I'm the guy, I'm the end, I'm the end result. So I'd say, listen, li, uh, be not listen, but, or listen to your heart, listen to your heart's reaction in the moment. And if it is, if you feel like you got to defend yourself, that's probably a good indication. Uh, there's a proverb. One more thing. We'll move on. I think I just came to my mind. Uh, it's Proverbs 26, where it says, like the flying sparrow and the fleeting swallow, so a curse that has no cause will not light. It's a picture of a, of a, of a bird flying around and, and it, uh, uh, and, uh, it, you know, if, if I was in a cabin, I think I wrote about this in the book, but I was in a cabin one day, uh, at a camp and the swallow came in and just started darting all, you see, I mean, you had about five or six grown men ducking like little girls, you know, ah! sorry, no, no offense to little girls over there, but, uh, but, but, but the bird never sat It never lit. It never stopped. It just flew around and flew out of the house or flew out of the uh, cabin. And that's the picture in Proverbs. If, if, if you're not guilty, it's not going to land, but if it lands, if it lands, that is, if it, you sense that you're wrong, then you better take note of that and confess it. Yeah, that's really good. I remember a couple of weeks ago we were talking and we were we asked somebody when's the last time you asked for forgiveness, and that was a challenge to all of us, you know, even as elders. Like, when's the last time we asked for forgiveness from somebody? But I think it's the same principle here. You know, when's the last time you humbled yourself? When's yeah. the last time you admitted you were wrong? When's the last time you owned whatever? You know, and I think that's, I think it is right though that you said. You know, it's pride, and in our pride, we want to we want to cover it up, and we want to we don't want to admit it. And I, I have had guys say, you know, I don't want to admit I'm wrong, and I'm like, man, that is so attractive, though, in a, in a good godly way. Like we said at the beginning, when someone is humble and they own something, I'm like, man, I respect you more for that that yep. you owned it, right? Like yep. we think we have to be perfect, yeah. Which I grew up in that mentality, like you can't screw up, you've got to be perfect. You've, you know, don't admit you're wrong, cover it up, don't say anything about it, and it's just. It's not attractive. You know, really, Abe, it's what people have asked me, what, what was the motivation? Somebody just asked me recently, what was the motivation for writing your book? And I thought, you know, part of it is because 
it's not a subject people want to write about because it's like as soon as I write about humility, it's like, okay, I'm going to be looking for this dude to be humble, you know. I don't really worry about I don't worry about that. I hope I'm humble, but I I I made the comment in the message that uh, uh, if you'll recall right out of the shoot that boldness and humility are not oil and water. And I'm known as a bold person, but I think you can be bold and be humble. My guess is if you're a real bold person for, like I am, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to demonstrate humility because yeah. you're going to say things you shouldn't yep. say. So yep. anyway. What's the proverb that says that? When lo- lots of words, there is not a lack of sin. Yeah. In the multitude of words, there lacks not sin. That's exactly what it says. Thanks for reminding yeah. me of that, by the way. You, you might want to read that tomorrow morning in your devotional <laughs> time. Oh, wait, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Yes, please. Uh, the gratitude, uh, great gratitude. Um, I'm thankful for you, Abe. Can we move on <laughs> to the next one? Uh, okay, so th- there's. we got to keep moving here, but what is happening in our heart when we lack gratitude? I mean, I know that's a big thing. You and I have talked about that. You know, that's that, again, is attractive, gratitude. But what's happening when we lack gratitude? Oh man, if we lack gratitude, there's there there has to be we're we're really unbalanced if we're lacking gratitude. We're we're, we're not thinking about the goodness kindness of God in our life at all. I and mean, we're just completely on the other side of the scale and we're grumbling about this or grumbling about that. Yeah, that's why I gave that illustration. In fact, I got a text from that guy. I, you knew who I was talking about in the sermon. I talked about the deacon that uh, yeah. that spoke yep. to us, and that deacon texted me and thanked me. You know, I didn't name him in the sermon, but you were there. I mean, did I did yeah. I describe yeah, that accurately? Very, very accurate. Oh very my good. goodness! I mean, when he got done, I thought, "Did you have a burden?" Because he was just so grateful. Yep. I, it was. I, I'm Abe. I was genuinely moved by his mm. gratitude. I mean, and I kept thinking, "I gotta come." I kept thinking, "I gotta come back to his." And I thought of the burdens that he mentioned. I got to come back to that and pray over those things because I was just so caught overwhelmed by his gen- and he wasn't just you know sometimes people will mention something that they're grateful for and you kind of wonder if they're really being genuine. I better say thank you for this and I better. There was not like that. He was like super genuinely grateful, and I guess I'm kind of I just I'm kind of going to the whole thing. If if you want to cultivate both humility and authenticity in your life. You know, show yourself to be a grateful person. And it, I just thought of this just now. Several times in the New Testament, uh, Paul will list a whole bunch of stuff that you should be doing, and then he'll add, and be thankful. Mm-hmm. And I just, uh, in Proverbs, or no, I'm sorry, Proverbs. Yeah, Paul didn't write Proverbs, by the way. Just let the audience know. <laughs> it's Colossians 2, where he says, As you receive Christ as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and build up in him and established in the faith, and be thankful. Yeah. He does that. He just does that. It's kind of like it's kind of like the chocolate syrup on top of the ice cream or whatever you whatever you put on the top of your ice cream to that wouldn't be the ice cream without it. That's what thankfulness is. Mm. That's what gratitude is. Yeah, that that uh one of the questions for the, you know, for our community group was are you a grateful person? What would those closest to you say? Which I think is a great question for us to ask, you know, this was probably the most challenging to me personally, which I, I said to my, to my men's group, we were talking last night. I said, I said, I think I'm a grateful person. I have gratitude. I am thankful, but I, I, 
I need to do better at expressing that to people. Like, I just don't, I don't express it. I don't say it. Even though in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I am grateful for you. And I'm grateful for you and grateful for this and grateful for the church. But like, it's something that I need to, I need to do better at like expressing that. Yeah. I think that's a great, good observation on your part to think that way. I mean, again, if you're, some people are just, they're just always grateful and they come right out and do it. But I think that's good thinking on your part. You internally, you're thinking I'm a grateful person, but I'm not, I'm not saying it. I not. I don't say thank you. And you know, I I got. I must. I have to admit, Abe. I wish you'd go off to these crappy conferences you used to go to. <laughs> <laughs> you used to go. To these, you know, you go to the stellar ones now. You used to go to crappy yeah, ones yeah. years ago. And you, he would text me. Our 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 videographer is here, Tanner. He would text me in the middle of the conference, or he would call me. and say, I just want you to know how grateful <laughs> I am to God for you, man. I I'm around this guy every time. These guys, these guys, <laughs> I'm hanging out with. They hate their churches and all this stuff and i love my church i need to send you a few more of those conferences that'll up your gratitude i am grateful for you <laughs> i'm grateful for this church too all right so this last one great we're gonna skip the courage one we're gonna go to the doer great okay. doer um which just was you know this was this was good talking about knowing truth First and, and applying it being a being not just a hearer but a doer. Um how how do we how do we I feel like there's people that tend to kind of move one way or the other, right? Yeah. They love yeah. to dig into truth. They love, 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 love the Bible. They they love, love learning and the the intricacies, but then maybe their life it's like, yeah, but is are you applying it? Are you actually living it out in the day-to-day, the practical side? Then you've got the other people that are like maybe shallower, not really digging into it. And they're just more the, give me something to do. Yeah. What do you want me to do? I, I'll follow through. I'll do it. How do, how do we come? And you, and you talked about that being like a, uh, a full man or a well-rounded yeah. man. Yeah. Um, we'll just kind of finish on this, you know, and then, and, and then that last question you asked, like, are you authentic or are you a fake? I mean, that, that kind of goes into all of this, but like yeah. we can just kind of finish on this one. Yeah. Well, I would just, I think again, Abe, I have to say you've kind of, hit the main thing. We have bents, you know, some we're bent more toward study or we're bent more toward doing. And there are those people who seem to have it. They, they're just few of them, but they seem to have it down. They've got their good students and they're great servants. And I think that if we are, um, if we're humble, we'll look for those people. We're told to look to those people as examples uh, and there, every church, whatever church you're in, I'm sure uh, that you have people that love God's word, and they love to serve. They love to serve the Lord, and I think those are the people you need to look to. And I guess I would just say, look for those people who are opposite your bent, because you don't need to be. If you're given towards study, you why are you hanging out only with people who love to study? That's probably not helping you a whole lot. You probably ought to hang out with some people that are, you know, grabbing hammers and saws and are are going and I mean, I I will say this. Let me just today I was blessed because this Brazil trip that came back, uh, they came back on a in one of our church vans. There were nineteen of them that went and um, and there was I won't name the person, but there was a woman that helped to drive. And she is a bookworm. She loves to read and study. She's all about studying and everything. But here she was serving. 
It blessed my heart to see her, and I thanked her, but I want to thank her again. I mean, that's the kind of balance. This is a gal that loves the Word of God, but she's also serving people. I love that. That's what I need that. I need to look at, I need to be more like that myself. So, you know, and I think this is what made Ezra who he was. I mean, this is, this whole, that whole, uh, that 10th verse in the seventh chapter, that if you don't have that expression to do, then it just becomes like, he just becomes a great scholar and all of that and a teacher, but he was a doer. And uh, that's what has drawn so many people to that passage of scripture. Mm -hmm. And I think it should draw all of us to Ezra to be, uh, as you mentioned, and as I mentioned the message, a well-rounded person. Yeah, and maybe the question is, what is your bent? Or asking people around you, what is your bent? And and then maybe yeah, be challenged and pray about what that looks like to go the other way. If you're, yeah. if like you said, if you're if you're a studier, maybe you need to be pushed in the in the serving side of it or the doing, actually following through with whatever that looks like. Yeah. You know, be authentic. That was kind of the title, you know, God help us be authentic. And I've heard people say many times, this generation is looking for authenticity. You know, I've been around now for a whole generation. You know, I'm, you know, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. You know, I've been preaching the Bible for about 40 years almost as a pastor for 36. I have, I have a word for this listening audience here. Everybody has always liked authenticity. It's always been that way. Yeah. It's, it was that way 40 years ago. Uh, people that put their works behind their words. And when we do that, we'll change the world. That's good. It's really good. That's a good word to, to finish on. Thanks. Appreciate it. And if you didn't get the book, go read that humility book. You can get it on Amazon. Oh, thanks so much, Abe. <laughs> God bless you guys.